Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. All right, welcome everybody to our Bible class. Uh, might be our last Bible class of the year, as I think about it. I have to talk to Kathy, see when she's starting up Sunday school in the new year, if it's the first Sunday or the second Sunday in January. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be the second one. There won't be one New Year's Day. There won't be the one. So, so we'll have at least two weeks off, I'm assuming, after this, two Sundays off. Um, and then we'll be back on week three, probably back to uh, the curriculum. Um, so hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, tour through Colossians, and we'll finish that up today. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your Holy Word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right. Um, so, the Bible truth that we want to communicate this morning is that we have responsibilities for and duties towards others based on our stations in life. The goal is that you can recognize what your stations are in life along with what that entails. A Bible verse to reinforce this is from 1 Corinthians 7, 17, that each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. An opening reflection to break the ice here. Uh, what are some good things that family members can do for one another? And what are some harmful things? Stay out of my life. <laughs> well, maybe that was a harmful thing. That's a harmful thing, yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> so, so let's hear some good things family members can do for each other and some bad things they can do for each other. Family members are good support in time of trouble. Yes. I have two sisters who are very good listeners. Good listening, support during time of trouble. That's certainly a good thing. Or they could be the opposite and criticize the thunder of you for doing something wrong. That's right. No yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes family members can be the source of much gossip, right? I know people in my family that if you tell them something, they're immediately on the phone as soon as you're gone. Did you hear what so-and-so said? I talked to him and, you know, that's not, not helpful. What other good things and bad things? Well, jealousy is a tough one with your families. Right? Jealousy, right, right. See that in the Bible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, so, so we recognize that there are certain things in families, aren't there? There are responsibilities that family members have for each other, duties, attitudes, actions that are helpful, actions that are harmful. 
All right, I will read the, uh, I think I'm probably going to read a chunk of this today because of the names. <laughs> um, but we'll, we can fake it just like you. That's right. <laughs> Do we know? Do you know? You don't. Um, uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not with eye service as uh, men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing the Lord, Whatever your task, work heartily as serving the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right. What is your initial overall reaction to this paragraph? It's exactly opposite to our society today. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes yeah. also as a very long way of saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in a roundabout way, absolutely. What about you? What is your initial reaction to this? Ladies. <laughs> the few ladies we have. Well, today's society would be frowned on. It would be thought of as being um, regressive. Yeah. Society. Sure. And not every people look at our our society and then compare it to maybe over in Iran and and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? That's right. So they pretty much live by this. Well, not by this. They live well, by something. Yeah, but, but about wives having to be submissive to their husbands, and some of them aren't even allowed to go out. Sure. You know, that, I'm talking about the wives part. The wives part, right. But we'll get to that in a second here. But our reaction to it is, is overall, um, you know, the, the, uh, the feminist movement in the last, what, 100 years has really um, taken a number to verse 18. And, and what's the other thing that might raise some eyebrows today in this section? Slavery. Slavery. So we're going we're gonna to touch on, on these things um, and, and hopefully explain them a little bit. Um, those of you who have brought your ESV Bibles, I'm, I'm using the RSV, um, you might see that they did not translate the word doulos as slave. They decided to translate it as bond servant. Um, not that that helps. They're trying to, they're trying to, um, soften. they're trying to soften, they're trying to soften it because they don't want to uh, lose sales. Lose sales, mm-hmm. exactly. But uh, uh, a, doulos, a doulos only means one thing, it means a slave. Um, so we'll get to that. So what are okay? Let's look slaves, at <clears throat> slaves were different then than what they were fifty years ago. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. Whatever, yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. So first, though, what attitudes and responsibilities do family members have towards each other? 
So let's look at that. Well, wives have to be subject to their husbands. Husbands right. have to love, love their wives. Right. Um, children have to be their parents. That's right. So there, notice... So there's a qualifier on the wife. And there's a qualifier on the... Uh, uh, yep. And what, what's that qualifier? As is fitting in the Lord. That's right. Now notice, what does it not tell the wives to do that it tells the children to do? Obey. The, the wives are not told to obey their husbands. They are, told, they are told to subject, to submit themselves. This word, as is fitting, as is fitting it means to submit. It, 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 um, it's actually, notice it says, uh, or it should say, or you could translate it, submit yourselves. It's not a harsh or cringing subjection. It's a deliberate decision, a choice of action. Her choice. It's her choice. Right? This is something that she is choosing to do. The word is used in the military of someone who willingly volunteers for and does and, and takes their spot in the line kind of idea. Right? It it, um, it doesn't. Uh, so that's um, and but no. They, arranged, they were arranged marriages back then, right? Some of them were. Some of them were. Yeah, it's hard. I, I, it's an arranged marriage, Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so they could manage it. Yeah. Statistically speaking, arranged marriages um, are less likely to end up in divorce than, right. than the other ones. Because I, um, you're not marrying for ushy-gushy feelings, so the fact that you don't have them doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, I want you to see that the word subject or submit here is voluntary. It is not obey, right? And what is the qualification placed on the husbands? Well, what do husbands have to do? Do not be harsh. Do not love, be love and do not be harsh. Do love them and do not be harsh. Now, I can't answer this, but ladies can. Is it easier to um, submit to a man who loves you and is not harsh with you? <laughs> and that love, by the way, is agape, which is a self-sacrificial love. So if your husband is giving you the skin off his back, if he's sacrificing his all for you, and he loves you, and he puts your priorities first, it's a lot easier to do this, isn't it? <laughs> Especially considering the fact that it's not, it's not asking you to obey him. It's asking you to submit to him, to take your place. And we'll kind of get to what that means uh, in our next question, but I just want you to see that that word is a voluntary word. So we and then we looked at husbands. Husbands are not to are not to be harsh with them. Um, why does Paul have to say that? Because they are. Because in their society they were. So this is a bit revolutionary in their world. So people will often accuse the Bible of having a Roman or a Greek view of society of men, relationships between men and women. It's not the case. Uh, Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, Roman culture was far worse on women than the Bible actually <laughs> is. This is um, normally, um, you, when you get instructions to households in the Roman world, you don't address the husband. You just address wife, kids, slaves, you do this. And, and whatever the man does, that's fine. That's how Rome works, the Roman Empire, I mean.
Paul is different. He includes the men as having duties and responsibilities. Um, what about children? Is, is, their, is their obedience to their parents um, absolute? Yes. In everything it says. In everything, right? That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, who's who's pointed out again? <laughs> Father shouldn't be provoking the kids. That's right. So um, notice <laughs> that people, when they talk about this, th these verses in the Bible, they will complain about verse eighteen, and they'll cite it. And they won't read you read it in context. But if you read this in context, yes, it's telling wives to uh, be subject or um, submit themselves to their husband. But what kind of husband is being is being um, brought forward as the ideal here? One who is loving, who's caring, and who's not harsh towards his wife or his children. So, so Paul is addressing, um, he is addressing the, their culture, right? He is addressing issues of the day. Um, and then, um, so uh, now we come to this um, slaves business. Um, how is, how was Roman slavery different from slavery in the American South? Well, you could end up as a slave if you had debts or anything like that. So slave in Rome, in the Roman Empire, is not based on? Race. It is not based on race. Right. And anyone can buy their freedom. Right? Yeah. So it, it's, it's a, repra is it a, is it a, is it a, is sla any form of slavery a good institution? No. But Roman slavery is not the same thing as slavery in the American South. So did they kidnap them? A lot of times they're one in war. War. Rome would go in, they'd conquer a village, take some people, they'd become slaves. But they could also, um, you could do that, but you could become, um, you could become uh, um, free, you could be a free man. There was a whole class of people called the freedmen who were former slaves who, who were free. Additionally, some people would... Um, would have enough money to become free and never would choose to be because they, they were they were slaves to somebody cushy. Like uh, if you were a slave to, in one of Caesar's households, uh, you're, you're, you, you, you're, you're happy, you're, you're, you're content. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you have a better life than most free people. Um, so... Uh, were they paid? Room and board. I mean, you know, I mean... The, the, if, if they didn't have money... And then how could they buy their way out? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I, you know, it's also very interesting as we look at this. Uh, we have abolished slavery, uh, the racial type, mm -hmm. and yet still through Victorian times we had poor houses and workhouses, right? Which was basically slavery, right? And how else? Can, how can we? What other ways can we apply this today? We don't have slavery. How does this apply today? Staff. Staff. Work employees and employers, right? That, that, that's, that's how we can apply this. Um, and so what are slaves, employees, we could say, told to do? 
all day. Absolutely. And heartily. And, and, and what kind of obedience are they supposed to give <clears throat> to their earthly masters? Don't give them life service. Yeah. Yeah. The boss is coming. Quick, look busy, right? That's right. Um, um, what is interesting here about how about what God says, did you notice something interesting he says to the slaves and something interesting he says to the masters? There's, there's something kind of interesting here. It's a bit of a reversal. See if you can pick it out. So, in verse... It says that you're to work for the Lord and not for man. No, no, you're, you're close. What In verse 24, what is it interesting about that? What is surprising about that for slaves? That you get an inheritance. That you get an inheritance. Do slaves have inheritance? No. no. Unless you're Ben-Hur. Unless you're Ben-Hur, right? So, um, um, and this is the only time the word reward is used, I think, in the New Testament. So you... Slaves get an inheritance. Okay, now, in 4 verse 1, what do masters have? They have a master too. They have a master. Um, do you see, so, the slaves get to have an inheritance, and the masters also have a master. The masters are also slaves. That's why um, in the New Testament, you're either a slave of Jesus or you're a slave of sin. One or the other. Um, so we see these, um, these um, duties. How do they complement each other? How are they complementing? No, so all of these, from, from, oh. from the family the, down to the, the slaves. Because don't forget, slaves were considered part of the family back in those days. So this is, these are all family kind of things. So, so what's, how do they complement each other? Well, if they're all obeying all the way along the line, then it's a pleasing to God and a harmonious life. That, that, that's right, and that gets to the, the second part of the question. And notice, um, it's not lopsided, is it? Everybody's... Everybody's got something to do. It's an even playing field. Pulling in the same direction yep. towards the same goal. Nobody should feel that they weren't, that they were, they were uh, just different roles. Different roles, absolutely. And, and as Susan said, the, the point here, the harmony, um, is that if everybody's doing this, if husbands are not harsh and they are loving and not harsh to their wives and, and they don't, um, they don't, um, provoke their children and if slaves uh, work hard with their masters and masters um, are not harsh with their slaves and don't um, <laughs> notice what it um, by the way notice in verse 25 what comfort does it give to the uh, to the slaves there's no partiality no you're going to get your inheritance right you're going to get paid somehow yeah, so, so, so if your master is harsh with you, don't worry, he'll get his. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's exact, and, and so that's just as much there for the slaves to take comfort as it is the masters to have a warning, right? Um, because in the very next breath, he says, masters, treat your slaves well. <laughs> um, if you don't, the Lord won't treat you well. That's kind of the thing. All right. Flip over to the other side. At this point, all right. How many of you have heard of the three estates before? One and one or two? Yeah, all right. So, at the bottom left corner, the society in the Middle Ages was divided into three groups. You had those who pray, which are priests, monks, nuns, holy orders, right? You have those who fight, which are the royalty, soldiers, and the rest of mankind was those who work. (laughs) Peasants, farmers, merchants, regular families. Luther takes this and you also have, um, and he takes the idea, he's fighting against the Roman Catholic idea that um, somehow being a monk, being part of a monastic order was a fast track to God. That if you went off and said, uh, gave up the world, that this was a monastic, and joined a monastic order, that you had a, this is a calling, a vocation from God. So the Reformation kind of responds to that. And it looks at passages like this and other passages in the Bible. And Luther divides society not into those who pray, those who fight, and those who work, but into the church, the family, and the state. We call these the three estates, the three arenas. Luther calls them the three hierarchies or, or the three, um, yeah. So, and, and you can see the quote from Luther there in the bottom, uh, the bottom corner. So, when Lutherans talk about vocation, when we talk about your vocation, we mean you have a spot. If these are three hierarchies, as Luther calls them, you have a spot in the pecking order, so to speak, in each one of these three spots. You see that? You have have a spot in the church, you have a spot in your family, and you have a spot in, in the world, in the state. So, in the church, some of you serve in various functions. All of you are are parishioners. Um, So, there are certain duties that you have uh, and responsibilities. Um, In the family, some of you are uh, parents, grandparents, um, husbands, wives. Some of you still still have, how many of you still have parents? Some of you, a few of you still have parents. So it means you're still kids. Um, and so you have, you have responsibilities for those who are um, ahead of you. If you're, if you're um, for your parents, your, um, this kind of thing, and duties towards those, or responsibilities for those under you, and duties for those above you. Um, so that means that. Um, you have kids, uh, grandkids, you have, and that, of course, that, that role changes as you uh, become a grandparent, but 
you, um, but this also, the family also deals with your life in the world in terms of your job, your the economy, uh, that kind of thing. And then the state. You see the state here. Um, we have um, responsibilities and duties when it comes to the state. We have a responsibility to be well-informed, to vote, to do these things. Now, this, we sometimes talk about the two kingdoms. Lutherans didn't talk about the two kingdoms until the 20th century. This is what we talked about before the 20th century. This is, this is, this is more, um, more of, um, what's the right word? This is um, the more complete um, way to look at things. Um, and so you can see here that each thing has a, has a, has a certain set, each arena, each one of these estates has certain purposes. Uh, why is the church, what's the purpose of the church? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, that kind of thing, right? What's the purpose of the family? That's right. That's well, yeah. To raise, yeah, bodily life, uh, um, and to populate the church. Well, not populate the church. Populate the what? You're close. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. earth. Yeah. Right. And then, what's the function of the state? No. Organizer. Peace and order. To make sure we don't kill each other. <laughs> to make sure, you know, peace, order, tranquility. You see how all these things are supposed to, they have their arena. So they have their, their, their arena and their, their, their sphere of responsibility. So, and that it means, so, so then in your small catechism, you remember your um, table of duties. Remember that? Your table of duties, all the list of scriptures. Each one of those things can be divided into one of these categories. And that's how Luther intends it. Uh, I actually looked that up after this reading. And this covers about the last half of the table of duties. Yeah. So, um, so the question here then, going back to the question on this, is... I've explained. I've already. I've kind of explained this. This is the. Um, does this help you to understand Paul's point here in Romans in in uh, Colossians three? Does this help? Saying that there are these areas of life, and you are given a spot. Um, you are given a spot um, in the line, so to speak, uh, where you have duties um, towards those. Higher than you in the hierarchy and duties towards those. It's an illustration and responsibilities for those under your care. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the image that, that Luther uses. I think that's helpful to understand what's going on in this, in this um, uh, going on here. Um, in Colossians 3. I don't know if anybody else agrees. Um, it's like an order, like a hierarchy of order that he's uh, instituted. Yes. Yeah, and that's, um, 
It's not like an orc chart at work. That's, I mean, the only orc chart, chart is God and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So th this is so this this is a good point. Does this relate to how your how does this does this relate to your relationship to God? Uh, I, I believe it does because if you were desiring to be someplace where you're not, then there's a conflict. Sure, sure. But so we, we deal with two types of righteousness here. There's your righteousness vertically before God. And then there's your righteousness horizontally <coughs> in society. Which one of these two things does, does this have to deal with? Horizontal. Horizontal. This is, how, this is how we live peaceably with each other. This is how God intends the world to, to function. Um, and God says, put others first. Right. The world says, put me first. Right. The sinful self says, put me first. That's right. And, and how... And so that's why, isn't that why people don't like this, the, the idea of hierarchy? Yeah. Because they're afraid that someone in power is going to put themselves first. And yet the Bible calls those who are, the Bible, what we're seeing here is who has the most responsibility in this chapter? The father. He's got. He's he's likely the master. He's likely the right. He's likely the husband and and the father. So he has to make sure that he's self-sacrificially loving his wife. He has to make. He has to not be harsh with any of his family members. Not um, right. So he's he's got the most responsibility here, um, and, and that's exactly um, the point. That's why. That's why. We call the people who serve in the government civil servants. civil servants, and what's the M word? Ministers. What does what does a minister do? He 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 serves. All right. If you want a two-page summary on on the doctrine of vocation, where it, which deals with this, just let me know, and you can you can have. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy of this. Um, Right. That's yeah. that's each, absolutely each right. Each of these states ultimately has to answer to God. Each one. Yeah, that's right. And each has their own sphere, right? So the state can't start going over into the church, right? <coughs> and so each, it's not just each is its own realm, its own set of hierarchies. So when somebody. Um, so somebody from the government comes into the church, they can't, they can't just start telling the church what to do. Why? Because once they enter the church, they no longer have their, their authority comes from, from the state, not in the church. In the church, it, the, the authority is the Bible, God's word, uh, pastors, uh, pastors, pastors, you know, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's right, and, and we're we're seeing them try to take that away a little bit, you know. Um, absolutely. So, this is um, how uh, I, I think this is a, a an important uh, uh, spot to to teach. I, I remember in, in university in uh, one of my social science classes, uh, they had the the three estates, and they said if you look through history. 
when there was a decline in society, you know, like in the Roman society at that, one of these was eliminated by one of the other ones. So society functions well if all three of these are functioning well. Yep, that's right. If one tries to overtake the other, then there's a collapse of society. That's, that's right. And so when you look at the New Testament, um, this is a handy way. This is a handy way when Paul's giving his instructions. This is this is a handy way to start to, to think of think about how he's classifying it, um, and um, I think you'll you'll see that. All right, time is fleeting, so we have to move on. Um, who wants to read four chapter four verses two through six? I will. All right. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as as I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to how you ought to answer everyone. Great, thank you. So, why does Paul feel a special need for the Colossians' prayers at this time? He's in jail. He's in jail. That's right. (laughs) Um, That's right. And and so, what what does that reveal about Paul that he asks the new Christians in Colossae to pray for him. What does that tell us about Paul? He believes in the power of prayer. That's right. Uh, even from complete strangers, because he's never met the Colossians. That's right. Right? So, so Paul, you can see Paul, he, you know, he believes in prayer. That's exactly the point I want to get across there. Now, um, what are your own <laughs> prayer habits like that, this is more of a personal question here. Looking at what Paul says here in these verses, what are your own prayer habits like? When do you guys like to pray? Is whenever I feel inspired to. Whenever you feel inspired to, or, or see a reason for it. Sure. Does anybody pray pray regularly? Yeah. Does a certain time of the day you guys pray? First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. Same thing. Opposite. Opposite. At you're, night. you're at you're at night. Yeah, when everything is. <laughs> well, I'm a night hawk, so <laughs> I'm at my best at night. You're better. Yeah. So that's when I Yeah, and some people pray at night. Some people pray in the morning. Some people pray in the day. Some people pray both. I try to do both. Both when I wake up and so. So based on what you see here in this chapter from um. um and in this book about Paul's habits and instructions for prayer, what changes do you think you ought to make in the content of your prayers, in their frequency, and in their attitude? Notice he says, steadfastly being watchful and with thanksgiving. thanksgiving. (laughs) We can often make prayer a drudgery, can't we? Oh, I've got to pray. (laughs) <laughs> steadfastly we tend to pray for things we want rather than thanking God for things we yeah, have that's right yep 
There's some good, there's some good things to think about here. Um, and by the way, what, does Paul speci- what is Paul specifically asking for? Right. Um, um, And he wants to open a door for the word. He wants an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. And verse 4, that I might make it clear. So Paul is not even, Paul thinks he needs prayer to make make the, uh, to make the gospel clear to those he's he's praying for or, or ministering to, so I I, I think that's um, uh, something good to keep in mind. All right, I'm going to read the uh, final section here. Tychicus uh, will tell you about my uh, affairs. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we he may encourage your hearts. And with me, Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of yourselves. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, receive him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and... They have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of yourselves, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always remembering you earnestly in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brethren at Laodicea and Nymphia, or Nympha, and the church in her house, and to Nympha and the church in, in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of, La- of the Laodiceans, and see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. And to Archippus, see, and, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my fetters. Grace be with you. Okay. So, what's the common thread with all these greetings? Sort of running out the new team. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. He's making. There's a. You'll notice that there, um, there's those who he's sending to them. There's those who are staying put with him, and there's those who might come to him. And then there are those who are there who he wants to greet. They're all fellow workers in the kingdom. They're all fellow workers in the kingdom. Um, two names should pop out to you from that list. Luke and Mark. Yeah. Right? Just, just Mark. This is the Mark who wrote Mark. Um, and Luke, we, all, we you know, Luke and Acts. Um, Seems to be doing a lot of name dropping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's basically uh, establishing a support network. Yeah, he, he's saying, you don't know me, but I know all these people that are working with me. You yes. know them. That's right. 
Yeah. He, how many times? He says like three times. One of yourselves. I know this guy. Yeah. He's 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 from your church, and I know him. He's from your church. Yeah. And sounds like he's greeting the pastor at the end. Say say to Archippus, fulfill your ministry. <laughs> I think that's probably their pastor, right? Um, from these Greek, okay, so we kind of we're learning about Paul's relationships, right, with with his other people. Even though he's in jail, he still is able to have a lot of uh, interaction. Um, how does this speak to individual Christians who feel that they can go it alone and have nothing to gain or learn from other Christians or churches? They are grievously mistaken. Right. Yes. The big boys bring in the truth. Right, so Paul clearly th- think he's recommending these other Christians to the Colossians. He's also saying, by the way, one of my letters is at Laodicea. Make sure you you get that le- that letter, because Paul's letters. So that's how they. That's a, this gives us a bit of a window into what happened. Right, Paul write, writes letters, and the other the churches start circulating them. And what happens is you get the letter from Coloss- the Colossian to the Colossians, and what's the first thing you do? Does anybody read and write? Yeah? Okay. Make a copy. So then you make a copy, and then you send. Now, now you have. So then the Laodiceans, then once they get the letter to the Colossians, now they have two letters the one they have, and. Right? So. Um, but the point here. Is we we this the I think the big point here is we need other churches, <laughs> other congregations, we need other pastors, we need other people, we need and we can't go it alone. We need Paul needs a support network. He thinks the Colossians need a support network, and that means we need a support network as well. And that's one of the reasons why we have a synod instead of we're sitting here as a little independent church. That's right. That's exactly right. To do some of the exact things that's talked about here. Final reflection. How might the relationship between the churches in Asia, that's where this is, uh, be an example for our church? So how might, how might this be an example for our church? Helps us to realize that we're part of a bigger thing and that we need the others. We need the others? That's right. Okay. Well, that is the book of the Colossians. I hope that you have enjoyed our study. You learned something. Um, That's right. Now you know where the book is and you know who wrote it. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you have ordered society Uh, in a way that's beneficial for us. We thank you for the places we have uh, in our families, in society, in in the state, and and in the church. We ask you, O Lord, to help us to be mindful of uh, those we need to care for, those uh, who we have, um, with whom we have to obey the fourth commandment, who we have to honor. Um, And we ask, O Lord, that you would give us grace to do that, to uh, repent of uh, times where we haven't done that, but in all things, um, to seek your name among, among the people that we're with. And when we ask, O oh Lord, that uh, 
for us to, like, like, like for Paul, that you would open us up a door in our lives so that we could share the gospel with those around us. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.